namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sankhang namasami so the lunar observance days are tradition that we observe in the Buddhist tradition, all Buddhist traditions really. And in the forest tradition we try to meditate into the longer hours. So tonight we have a chance to meditate through to 12 o'clock. Please do join in if you have the energy. I feel very fortunate we're part of a, a tradition that, that carries a community. And it's not really dependent on the any particular individual in the community. There's something very uh, lovely about that, that it's not designed by the senior monks or by even Ajahn Sumedho or whoever, that this this tradition of Theravada Buddhism and the way we practice has been something that has been, has evolved and developed over many, many centuries. And we have rituals and we have hierarchy, we have etiquette, we have scriptural teachings, we have a liturgy, we have really a, a, a lovely a lovely vehicle to travel in. We're very, very fortunate, I think, very special, at least for me. And in the, in the traveling of this vehicle, we all have a chance to uh, give ourselves to our particular roles here. So whether one is uh, managing the kitchen or recycling the the waste material or booking in guests to come or recuperating from too much work, whatever, we all all can uh, give ourselves to something which isn't just about our own selfish wanting, not just about our own preferences and our own tastes and our own aesthetic ideas of what we want for ourselves, but rather we have a chance to go beyond just individual preference to a sense of community, a sense of tradition, and that is a a lovely, lovely way to to look at selfishness and to give up selfishness and work for the good of the community. But altruism itself, just being dedicated to the good of others would not work. Because enlightenment isn't a communal activity. No group of people gets enlightened. So it's a very individual realization. And so that's one of the paradoxes, I guess, of Buddhism. It's my first teacher, Venerable Vodesiko, said that it's the selfishness that puts an end to selfishness. So our, our selfishness isn't self-concerned or self-obsessed or ego-obsessed, but rather it's self-reflective. We reflect on uh, the nature of our minds and the nature of our happiness and unhappiness, our conditioning and and so on, uh, as a reflective activity. So it's individual. But it's not selfish in the sense that I I tell you, leave me alone, I'm meditating. It's not that, is it? In fact, we're we're all, we're a very generous community. We all look out for each other and uh, we help and we serve. And so it's... uh, it's uh, lovely to practice in that way. And yet, each of us is looking at our own 
minds, looking at our own reactions to the situation, to people, and trying to figure out a way how not to suffer, and how to go deeply into into consciousness and, and discover deeper and deeper levels of stillness and silence and liberation. So we do that through a vehicle. This is the Sangha vehicle. As bhikkhus, uh, Anagarika, we have we have a, quite a strong set of rules, a strong set of etiquettes, a strong set of monastic codes. And the lay people kind of try to figure out what we're doing, tag along with us, keep the eight precepts, and give up to this, this vehicle. And Ajahn Swede used to say, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be the best vehicle, not the most perfect vehicle. Maybe it's not Mahayana, it's enough yana, uh, small yana, hinayana, terayana, whatever you want, but it's something that you can give yourself to. And then within that, like giving yourself to something you can watch, preferences, likes, dislikes, people, you want to be with someone, you don't want to be with someone, work, you don't want to do this, you want to do that, this is just the preferences of the mind, moving, uh, making problems, causing suffering. When we seek enlightenment or happiness or freedom or peace, but we're, we're not really seeking an object or an objective experience. We're seeking the end of desire. We might have an objective experience which seems like, well, desire has ended and we think it's the experience. But if we think it's the experience, when the experience changes, we want to repeat the experience and we don't understand that what we're seeking is non-desire the end of desire. This reflects in the, in the uh, Niroda, in the Third Noble Truth, that there is an end to suffering, and in the suffering is the abandonment of desire. So non-desire is very important. But non-desire is not so obvious. It's not so strong. Frustrated desire is much easier to see. When my desires are frustrated, fear, anger, exhaustion, frustration, these kinds of mindsets came out. And so that's something we can for sure look at. That's something that really makes us alive um, because we want to get out of it. We want to get out of that anger. We want to get out of the fear. We want to get out of the depression. We, we don't want that. So desire arises. Desire arises to get out of suffering. And the challenge of, of, my, of Buddha's path is to to look at frustration of desire with non-desire. To awaken to the frustration of desire with non-desire. What does it feel like to be frustrated or angry at someone? What does it feel to have a, a memory coming through consciousness which is quite unpleasant and ugly? What does it feel like to have uh, knees that don't really work that well? And this is the frustration of desire, isn't it? When my body doesn't work the way I want it to do, sickness, the person I'm with seems to be uncooperative or incompetent or annoying or whatever. Frustration of desire. I have to do something that brings up fear. Frustration of desire. I have a, I have a memory of something I, I said which was stupid and I regret it and get caught in remorse, a frustration of desire. And when desire gets frustrated, of course, uh, it, it, it's painful, it's irksome. 
And that that's what oftentimes wakes us up, wakes us up from complacency. I had to look at frustration of desire with non-desire, to look at anger with non-desire, to be attentive to fear with non-desire, to be uh, aware of a horrible memory with non-desire, to feel um, attractive, attracted to someone uh, physically, sensually, sexually, with non-desire, to notice that with non-desire is the beginning of the liberation from desire. Because if we feel frustration of desire and then we react with more desire, of course, it's not going to work because we're just in the cycle of indulgence, repression. One desire begets another desire, positive desire, negative desire. So to come to non-desire, to realize non-desire irrespective of the experience. When we are seeking an objective experience and we think that that's where our fulfillment and enlightenment will be, um, then that's desire, looking for something, trying to achieve something from memory, from books or whatever. So to sustain non-desire for long periods of time is, is challenging because our the restlessness of the craving mind gets stimulated by memories, gets stimulated by ideas, gets stimulated by pain in the body, gets stimulated by all manner of things, sounds and sights and so on, and um, desire arises from that stimulation. You feel you're meditating and some uh, clever idea arises, that's desire. The clever idea is attractive. You go for the attractive idea and you start thinking and planning and, and that's pleasant until it gets boring. And then you notice that, and you try to get rid of that. And so it goes on and on and on. So to have enough attent- attentiveness, and the monastic life has that, it asks of us to be attentive, doesn't it? You know, it gives us the four requisites. We all live here freely. Uh, we have an abundance of, of goods and food and electricity and lay people come and they make this all available to us. It's not, there's no institution right, in this place. And all we're really asked of is to keep the precepts, keep to the uh, organizational principles of the monastery, and be attentive, be attentive, be, be present to the way things are, be aware, be mindful. And that's a, quite a, a generous gift we're given, isn't it? And then people come and they feed us and they say, just be mindful. And that inspires people. So the awakening to the present moment is, is something that constantly be encouraged and doing the ordinary. But awakening and then sustaining non-desire for long periods of time. And this is what we try to do in meditation, bhavana. Whatever your technique or preferred methodology or particular nature of how you like to meditate, it should be conjoined with non-desire, because if it's with desire, then that's ignorance. Becoming attachment to that won't give a good result. So we sit, we meditate, and then we feel sleepy. We sit, we meditate, and our mind starts to plan. We sit, we meditate, we feel restless, we want to move. And all those are just conditions coming and going. And each time we are attentive with non-desire to dullness, we can be 
awake to dullness. We can know dullness as a bodily formation and energy formation and not get caught in it. We're laying a foundation or we're, we're creating the causes for samadhi. We're, we're creating the causes for non-desire becoming more and more profound. So Yvonne was asking about right effort in our, in our team meeting and consider that, that if your effort is to become or get or get rid of, that will be conjoined with, it'll give you a bad result, won't work. So first of all, you have to recognize non-desire. What is that like? And where that takes place is, is between thoughts. When we're caught up with thinking, that's, that's attachment to desire. We don't even see the desire. You know, desire is so quick. So maybe you're, like, you're worrying about something or regretting something. The source of that is like conditioning that has been with you for many, many, many years. It doesn't take much to stimulate the worry, perhaps, for example, and just find yourself worrying. Just worrying, 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 worrying. And don't even notice that that's actually attachment to desire, to sense of self, because it's become so habitual. It become has become such a normal way of functioning. But through the intention to pay attention, through the through a sense of responsibility and duty that we have to earn our alms food, as it were, that not to just take alms food and, and live frivolously, we, we we encourage ourselves to wake up, wake up, what and begin to see thought as an object rather than just be the constant thinker. And when we make those intentions, we begin to see the end of thought. Not some final conclusion where the mind never thinks, but we begin to see thought as a formation, as a sankara, as an object, and we begin to break into the pattern of vedana, tanha, upadana, the attachment to craving, which creates the, the whole thinking process. Thinking which is functional and planning something that's fine but most of our thinking is actually filled with uh, self-becoming I making my making very very small percentage of thing I think for most of us is actually logical reasoning scientific reasoning a lot of it is just the, the stuff of self ego coming and going so when we make an attention to awaken and and do what we're doing to do it well whether we're uh, in the kitchen cutting up carrots or uh, doing walking meditation or whatever, we, once we make this intention to awaken to the present moment, present moment awareness, then we begin to see thought as an object. And then the idea is not to try to get rid of thought, but actually notice that at the end of thought, when you see thought as an object, that's the point of non-desire. So desire has ceased. That's where the sense of self has ceased. And to see that begin to value that and realize that and make that important. And that's not desire. It's not like you notice yourself thinking and then you think you shouldn't be thinking, so then you try to get rid of thinking or you try to catch thinking. That's all desire. But when you when you notice the end of a thought, the end of even even for a you know a snap of a finger. You know, that thought is an object, the sense of self is just a, a thought object. You begin to break up this seeming reality of self and see that it 
comes and goes within a kind of silent emptiness. And then when you get good at that, and you, you start to really see the end of thought, your, your attention is much more in the moment, you begin to see the arising of thought. And you see that the arising of thought is conditioned by some kind of contact, some kind of memory pattern or a physical discomfort, whatever it is. So you might be sitting in meditation and your knee starts to hurt, you notice the pain of the knee, you notice your mind you start to anticipate and think about the end of the sitting, but you, you know the thought arising, you know the sense of self arising, and you don't go there, and you don't go there, and that's a cessation of self, a cessation of becoming, a cessation of, of the desire to be somewhere else. This is the way it is now. When desire is frustrated, like physical discomfort, is a frustration of desire because we like comfort. If we are really attentive to that, then it's an interesting how discomfort can take you to peace. Not abject discomfort that hurts you, not that, but just not getting what you want. What happens when you, do, when you get what you don't want, or you can't get what you do want? Your desire is frustrated. Now, if I can know that frustration of desire before it goes into thinking, and if you can, if we can just know it as an energy system, as a tension in the body, and I can know it with non-desire, what happens? Well, that desire has been stimulated. The frustration stimulates it, and it creates anger or annoyance or whatever. But now there's the witnessing, there's the knowing, there's the knowing it as, as an object, and there's the non-desire knowing of it. And then that desire ceases. The anger ceases, the fear ceases. And the mind begins to abide as non-grasping, as non-desire, as non-attachment. And that's the path of peace. Whereas the, the seeking of experience is always based on becoming. Not that we don't have experiences, but to enter into the more profound silence of the mind is not a, a becoming, it's a letting go into into the present moment, always constantly letting go, rather than looking for something. It's different. So the forms of craving that we are all always referring to are the whole sense of resistance, vibhava, resistance, getting to know resistance from non-desire, knowing I'm my resistance to a person, my resistance to some kind of work, resistance to weather, resistance to bodily pain, resistance to a memory, resistance to all manner of things, and just to know resistance, to know it from non-desire. And then resistance starts to fall away. Or bhava, the whole kind of planning mind, becoming mind, creating mind, always um, formulating and structuring and building and uh, going into the future, not in the present. And to know that as non-desire, with non-desire, to know it as an energy, means you have to break up the thinking patterns. You have to learn how to go to no thought. It's not, about, it's not like thinking about bhava. It's just knowing, oh, this is a sense of becoming, and knowing it as from non-desire. Know it from non-desire. And the bhava, the, the becoming mind, begins to um, have less power, have less reality, have less hold on consciousness. And, and the mind, you can just see that, that, that time and self or just creations that come and going and there's more and more a sense of of timelessness 
the chronological time comes and goes, but the sense of you in time, moving through time, the time and all of that becomes less and less significant, less and less real, because the weight of of insight or the weight of attentiveness or whatever realizes there, there's there's this moment, this this is an endless moment. But when we are when we are bound by time, bound by becoming, bound by our, our personal histories, what we should have done or what was done to us, and what we're going to do, and all that. Movement through time is the movement of ego, is the movement of craving, is the movement of becoming and resistance, and that of course is endless samsara. So to know resistance is a resistance. To know becoming is becoming without without saying there's anything wrong with that, without self-identifying with it. Just knowing takes you more and more into this timeless presence. And then the kamatanha, the kind of hedonism, the fascination we have with sense experience and the and the repulsion we have of difficult sense experience, the constant mind going out all the time, mind going out, going out, going out. We're going to see that movement away out into sense objects itself as a kind of restlessness, as a kind of suffering. And you begin to say, just know that from non-desire. You know that from non-desire, the move mind. Mind going out to objects, non-desire. And the more you, you, you practice non-desire, the more you remember non-desire, the more you, you recollect no thought, the end of thought, the space between thoughts, begin to abide as that, which isn't a getting rid of a thought, because that's another kind of a thought, not getting rid of an ego or getting rid of a self, but just seeing these as objective things that come and go and and um, no longer believing in them, no longer creating a self around them. And so that, that, that practice of non-desire has to be realized, to realize what non-desire feels like. It's nothing much. It's not, it's not some fantastic experience that you're looking for. It's, it's, it's very ho-hum, but you need to trust that, because if you trust desire, on a functional level, you know, we have desire. I have a desire for food, and I have a desire to make the room cool, so I turn on, I turn on the fan. But that, that's just the functionality of desire. But, but in the in the path of, of liberation, the cessation of desire, non-desire, point of, of non-desire. You have to kind of really begin to intuit that, or 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 question that, or make that conscious in the moment. In your meditation, when so when you start meditation, if you start with desire, with some kind of program of what you're going to get, you're already off beam. We have a desire for enlightenment, but that's that's done through that's the kind of aspiration done through the contemplation of suffering, contemplate you know, the resistance you have to life or whatever whatever way suffering frust you know the frustration of desire happens, but not desire. Non-desire is always a possibility, isn't it? Because non-desire doesn't require a certain kind of experience. You can feel hot, cold. You can feel inspired or bored. You can feel hungry or full. You can have bad knees or good knees. You can have the flu. You can feel vibrant. You'll be dying of cancer. It's all, it's all natural, but non-desire doesn't require an experience, does it? doesn't require 
happiness or beauty or intimacy or being understood or all these different things that our culture makes important intimacy, being understood, having a deep conversation these are all okay, I guess but they're just experiences, just Vedana really we make a lot of them but non-desire is not you know, it doesn't require anything, does it? what it requires is an awakened mind to the way things are more like a, uh, more like wisdom or insight, uh, understanding, but it doesn't require an objective type of experience, and that's why non-desire is really the the, the key to to the unconditioned. Because if it was about desire, of course you'd always be in time looking for something. So when when you when you look at the, the, the four noble truths and you look at the third noble truth niroda niroda is synonymous with uh, the amata dhamma and the usual translations are you realize the the cessation of craving don't see that as some something which you're going to get somewhere down the road as a final product maybe maybe that is one level of that happening but also see it as a reflection, uh, something that you can use. Teachings which tell you uh, you have to get something later on, they're okay, but sometimes they don't, they're hard, it's really hard to reflect on them. But something that helps you to reflect in the present moment on what you're doing, uh, something you can use all the time. So, uh, niroda, the cessation of, of, of craving, it can be known all the time you can know the mind which is not demanding or resisting. You can see the end of thought. You can do that. There are, there are profound experiences when one reads great, great masters where the cessation of ego is, is very deep and very profound and such like, and we can get very caught up in those kinds of grand explanations. But the kind of humility of the path, of, of just this ordinary day, this ordinary body, these ordinary mind states, and just this, the resistance I have to life, or the frustration, and just working with that day by day, not asking any more, nothing grand, that kind of humility of, of experience, just to be content with working with this mind, with this experience, is non-desire. The mind which says, well, if I didn't have these experiences, then I would be happy, or if I had some kind of other experience, then I know my practice is going good, and so on, is of course uh, a source of suffering. So whether my experiences are mundane, or they're very horrible, that's the way it is. It's just the way it is. So, if I'm very sick, okay, that's what I work with. If I'm very healthy, that's what I work with. And that willingness to just be in the vehicle, be in the Sangha vehicle, and give up to the form, give up to the structure, and just watch, just watch, okay? This is what's happening, and this is frustration. And this is how to let go of frustration, or this is becoming, or this is resistance, whatever it is. We're obviously doing something right to be here. The fact that we have this um, wonderful community, and um, such good support, and physical environment, and, and our, the resources that we get are quite, quite astounding. And how do we honor that? Well, we honor that by doing the work, uh, doing the work in the monastery, but but also doing our inner work, and then then we're truly uh, 
deserving of, of the alms that, that, that we do get. So just to encourage you to to look at like your intentions in practice. Are you trying to get something that you had in the past? Are you trying to get rid of something that you have right now? Is there a kind of hidden agenda of, of craving there that always makes you sort of someone who feels inadequate? If I, if I if I say to myself, I have to get something other than is here, then I'm already creating a sense of inadequacy. But that can be known. I can know that. Whereas non-desire is not a sense of anything, really. Non-desire is the opening and acceptance of this moment. And sustaining that moment by moment, moment by moment, moment by moment is bhavana. Trying to do that. It's hard. It's hard because the craving mind is very strong, resistance is strong, so... So I'll leave that for your reflection tonight. Namayam Tamalataya Sadhu Karam Dhamma Se Sadhu 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 Sadhu